think most people look at my board and like, that's your team? You yeah, know? yeah. But I want to feel like I won that draft. And usually that comes down to how many players were I, was, I, were I able, was I able to get at value. And it's hard to do that in the early rounds because the early rounds are pretty much set. Yeah. Like people go through the first couple of rounds and say, oh, I love, you got CMC, you got Antonio Gibson. Like yeah. you're going to see a lot of teams like that. I mean, there, there are only so many variations that you're going to get, you know, and some of those players are going to get injured. Some of those players are going to underperform. Some of them are going to overperform. To me, it's those mid to late round picks. That's where we study. And that is one yeah. thing we do constantly on the group chat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We study draft boards. Yeah. We study it like we taking the test. I said, God, give me a warning. Please take me for the morning so I leave more disappointments than I ever will appoint. I can't believe that we're starting on a week in which one of the biggest fantasy targets actually went on national television and said that he wants out, which just doesn't happen in the NFL. But as a novice fantasy football player, I want to ask the experts, what do y'all do with that? Because I know that Julio is on everybody's big board. He's one of the top receivers in the league. How do you address him wanting to be out? And how do you then fade either Matt Ryan or Pitts or Ridley, or do you even fade them? Like, how do you address the Julio situation? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the news in general, uh, when you sort of kind of approach news like this, it's always best to sort of kind of be ahead of it, mm -hmm. to kind of have anticipated this. So, for us, we've always kind of been under the assumption that Julio was getting traded. Uh, kind of understanding the, you know, team dynamics from a contract and money situation, uh, reading through some of the tea leaves and just kind of just generally following the news throughout the off season, uh, it was sort of kind of hard to not be aware of this situation. So, yes, him kind of going on undisputed and talking with Shannon Sharp, you know, we can talk about that whole situation, but <laughs> him going on and saying what he said, I was honestly, you know, it didn't move the needle one way or the other. I think, you know, when you initially told me about the idea of Julio no longer being the Falcon, I said, you know, you know, that's highly unlikely is what I think I said. <laughs> I think I used that exact term. That is highly unlikely. Uh, and then, you know, we do what we normally do. You know, somebody comes out with the take. We don't, we don't just want hot takes. We need some form of evidence, some form of analysis, some form of data to try and back it up. So then came a barrage of tweets, uh, information regarding contracts, uh, various articles, and basically what it came down to was they weren't going to be able to sign their drafted rookies. Hmm. You know, they were in a cap situation where they were literally not going to be able to sign Julio. It was either Julio or Grady. Uh, and given the age of Julio, given that he's a wide receiver, given how much time he's missed. Injury given history. That, yeah, exactly. Given that they have Calvin Ridley, that they just drafted Kyle Pitts. And then given that it's a new regime, new head coach, new OC coming in and wanting to sort of kind of set their own – uh, uh, blueprint or establish their own imprint on this uh, on this team and this offense, you know, to me, it was just way more likely that he was going to get removed or get moved and get traded than that he was going to. So to me, the, you know, the, the news honestly wasn't all that surprising. For me, well, first off, we're definitely not experts on any of this stuff, so. No. We're just fans. <laughs> not at all. Fans that play fans. Absolutely. Play. But y'all have won. Wait, 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 wait. Let's not do that. Y'all have won <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars in fantasy football. Uh, so no, no, they, no, 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 no. They don't. They don't need to know. They don't need to know. The exact I want amount. the. I, I want the inside details. W what do you do with Ridley and Kyle Pitts if Julio is gone? So, well, I mean, so so first off, the way I approach us though, because like you were saying, when I was first telling him I thought Julio might get traded, he was saying, you know, he was he was kind of not really in belief of that, but. Um, so me, when I look at fantasy football and football in general, I always like to try to put all options on the table, like every single option on the table, whether it's likely or unlikely. Just the mm -hmm. fact that it is an option, there's an avenue to it, I want to be aware of it because I want to be prepared for what might occur if that happens. And like you said, kind of get ahead of the field. Um, 
So when you look at things that are, we can even use this term unlikely. Uh, when you look at things like that, that means the way things are set up and we use ADPs, you know, draft board to see out where people pick. That means ADPs are reflecting how things people expect things to be, which is going to be they at that time, nobody expect Julio to be traded. So everybody's value is like, okay, this is the value of Julio is not traded. So I don't need to really think too much of what a Julio stays because Julio stays is, is status quo. But I didn't think, okay, what if Julio leaves? What happens? That changes things. Somebody's going to go up. Somebody might go down, X, Y, and Z. I now start having my mind kind of think through all that stuff because that's me kind of getting ahead of the field, you know, because, you know, I can draft as is now and everybody can do the same thing. But if Julio's gone, Willie's probably going to go up. Pitts will probably go up. So they're going to be values. Um, I mean, they're going to be values for where they're taken now compared to where they'll be once Julio is gone. Um, so that's really why um, in our group chat, I'm always kind of throwing things out there like that. Like, hey, this is a yeah. whisper. This is a possibility. What's up? Um, so if Julio is moved, I mean, yeah, the ADPs is going to make Ridley and Pitts go up. The question is, the, the place that they end up, is it worth it? Is their value increase really that necessary by them losing Julio? Yeah. And, and that could be a philosophical question because, and like we were saying earlier, um, it's one of those things where, okay, we can look at it as Julio's been there. With Julio there, everybody's kind of put their attention on Julio, whether double-teaming him, bracketing him, just watch what Julio does and then leaving the other coverage. I mean, you only have so many defensive players on the field. Right. So you put in the, the lighter coverage over really Julio gone, now you don't have anybody you have to focus on, double team or bracket, you can take that same coverage and put it on Rilio, especially with Rilio doing so well. And then the question is, will Rilio still be able to produce or does that now depress his, his you know, his, his outcomes yeah. or, or what he's able to do? Um, and me personally, I think Rilio's talented enough to where he'll still be able to produce, hmm. you know? Um, and I agree. I mean... I think it honestly comes down to, you know, how talented do you think Calvin really is? You know, if you think he is sort of kind of in the tier of Juju, then just as, you know, just as in the uh, the years previous with Antonio Brown leaving and Juju sort of kind of. Uh, That's my fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the regression that we saw with Juju or, you know, his difficulties with seeing sort of kind of, you know, uh, being the primary attention and focus of defenses. But for me, you know, I'm in agreement with Deo. I think Calvin Ridley is in a different tier. I think he is an excellent wide receiver. He may mm. not be the fastest and most explosive, but I think he's an excellent route runner, an excellent technician. Uh, I think he gets open. Uh, to me, that's kind of the uh, the number one thing that I look at a wide receiver. Can you get open? Right. Route running is yeah. so good, man. And so, and he has rapport built in with with uh, Matt Ryan. Other thing you need to take into account is the OC and the head seat. So we bring over Arthur Smith, and I, I'm someone who trusts Arthur Smith. Uh, I love what he did in Tennessee, and so uh, I don't, I'm not worried about him kind of leaving Ridley on the outside and having him run nine and post routes, and you know, uh, or being, you know, running routes that are very predictable for you know for the defenses to 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 to, to anticipate. I see him moving him around, being very creative. I see him understanding that he's one of the, his better offensive players and putting him in position to succeed. So right. when I look at the vacated targets, the increased attention that Calvin really will get, I'm not overly concerned about. So, again, going back to our original point, we had already sort of kind of felt that Julio was on the move anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I was drafting Calvin Ridley accordingly. Hmm. So for me, Calvin Ridley was a... Early third round, ideally, but a potentially late, like second, late second round pick. But and then, I, but I think with that trade, it might end up moving him to early second. You know, it's, and if hmm. that happens, I'm not sure if I'm ready to take him there, honestly. Yeah, and so and and that's one of the advantages, sort of, kind of playing through all the different scenarios and uh, having a good sense of where things may fall ahead of time, because you can take advantage of that before the field does. So. Now, I think the more interesting question is Kyle Pitts, because when we're talking about Calvin, Calvin Ridley. Everybody's he's favorite moving, tight end. Excuse me. He's, Calvin Ridley is only move, moving a few you know, spots ADP-wise, mm -hmm. you know, maybe half around at most. 
Kyle Pitts, there still may not be that much room to move. Uh, he's already kind of going in the mid to late third rounds. I think but, he can jump a couple rounds from that name. But Kyle Pitts is an interesting question. So, uh, full disclosure, you were the first one to sort of kind of, I think, be on the Kyle Pitts bandwagon from a dynasty from standpoint. A, yeah, from a dynasty, from a from dynasty a standpoint. Prospect. From a long, you know, hmm. so he, he's the first one who's like, man, you need to be, you know. Because you at need the to time, be aware of you know, most yeah. people, most casual NFL fans, it's hard for them to fathom a tight end being not only drafted that high, but also producing much in their first year. It just doesn't happen historically. Yeah. You know, even the greatest prospects, you have Eric Ebron, Vernon Davis, mm -hmm. even as a recent TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. They're all good. They, they've all produced, but none of them have produced at a high ceiling where you will look back and be like, dang, I wish I would have took them super early. Mm-hmm. While Kyle Pitts, and I used to tell people this all the time, Kyle Pitts I looked at as almost like a Megatron version of the tight end. You know? Oh, that's lofty so, expectation. I know, yeah. I know, yeah. and I, I that's what that's what I was saying. Like, I was like, <laughs> what am I saying? Go, but we're really gonna take a look at this. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's what I was seeing. I was seeing yeah. a Megatron type prospect at the tight end position, and when you see something like that, that he now becomes a unicorn. We've never seen this before, so I I can't take what I've seen in the history. And put it on him mm -hmm. because he's now a different breed, you know. So I didn't know where I would have him value out, but I knew he was going to be valued very high. Yeah. But again, this is before anybody was really even paying attention. Are you to taking him. him where he's being drafted right now? No, I'm not. I can't because again, for me, for tight end, if it's not going to be the very top guys, and for me, the very top guys are Kelsey Waller. And maybe Kittle. I, I'm kind of wavering. Still on the Kittle, Kittle bandwagon. Uh, Kittle, talent wise and ability. I mean, I guess that's the Probably same thing. But he's yeah, great at it. Wise. But but I but I feel like the team wants to utilize his blocking skills a lot. And I've seen games where they will let him block the whole game. He's volatile. And he's great yeah, at he that. He will disappear. So yeah. so they're not worried about him catching passes. So he's still having a great game. But for fantasy purposes. It's not benefiting us. He's in an mm -hmm. offense where everybody eats. Right. Right. You're so, the third running back on the roster, and you may eat that. So I'm not sure I want to have him. I, I, I'm not sure how high I have him now, but still, he's still top three for me. Where, okay. Where would you take Kyle Pitts in FFPC? Right Tied now? In premium. Like today? Today. Like after or around? Like between round, round. round wise, I would take him in the fifth round. Okay, comfortable. So you're never going to have Kyle. He's Pitts. never going to be around. Okay, so let me let me let me give the let me give the pros. Let me get the pro argument for Kyle Pitts. And you kind of have already made my discussion for me in, in, in a number of ways. He's a unicorn, not Chris Herndon type, <laughs> but an actual unicorn. No tight end has ever been drafted fourth overall or as high as he's been drafted. Very few, if any, have sort of kind of come out with his athletic grade. Mm -hmm. His hands, his route running, for the size that he is and for the position that he plays, I think is just elite beyond I agree. Beyond anything that I personally have ever seen. I agree. Everyone knows that, okay? If it were that alone, I would be in agreement with you. I would have zero Kyle Pitts. And full disclosure, I have zero Kyle Pitts right now. I'm still, you know, it's, it's tough for me to pull that trigger in the third round. I don't think I'm that I'm there yet. But here's some things that may push me over the edge or if I see him in the fourth round, may make you know may allow me to click that button. One again, and I'm so big on this. Going going back to the head coach, offensive coordinator, you know, this is a coaching staff that I trust based off of what I've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. I trust that they're going to take their players and put them in the best positions to succeed. Right. It's funny when you watch our Texans play; it's a struggle. We have a great quarterback, but it's a struggle. Our great, you know, Watson is out there just making unbelievable, incredible plays. Then when you watch Kansas City Chiefs play, it's almost like it's with ease. Guys are running wide open, you know. Kelsey, literally, if you're ever playing against Kelsey and you watch the Kansas City Chiefs play that given week, I mean, you may, you may have a heart attack. You're going to be having some stressful moments because you're going to be asking yourself, he is Travis Kelsey. How, Why is he this wide open? open? How is he this week? wide open? And right. it comes down they to play calling, not just the you know, not just the actual plays themselves, but the play calling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like they're playing chess out there, three-dimensional chess. So I trust this, you know, I trust this offensive coordinator coordinator. I trust this, you know, this coaching, uh, this coaching class. And then we get to the vacated targets. And again, that kind of gets us back into our original question, which is, okay, does Julio leaving help or hurt Kyle Pitts? 
I think in this particular situation, the amount of targets that are gone and the need for someone to fill not just the role of, okay, who we're going to throw the ball to, but the, to fill the role of, okay, you know, who are our go-to guys, I think Kyle Pitts is going to have to be that guy. You know, he mm. just fits the build. So it's going to take a lot for a rookie, and I don't want to view him as just a tight end because I don't think he's going to be in line. I don't think he's going to be blocking a lot, and I think they're going to be splitting him out. I think they're going to be doing a lot of creative different things with him. It's going to take a lot, but I think, you know, we may see a situation uh, where, you know, he holds up value in the third and fourth round. The problem with me, the problem for me is that that may be his ceiling. Right. It's going it to take a lot. It it's, going to, it's going to take 70-plus catches, it's going to take 800-plus yards, and it's going to take, you know, eight to nine-plus TDs. And right. that's a lot asking for a rookie in a new system, a new coaching staff. You know, granted, I trust him, but it's still, you know, first year. So it's going to take a lot. So, so – so here's why I have reservations on Pitts. Talent-wise, I agree with you. Probably one of the, the most talented, if not the most talented tight end even right now in the NFL. You know, I have no argument with that. But with, with all things of fantasy, we've seen players we feel like are extremely talented, have all the ability in the world, but they're not utilized the way we think they should be utilized, mm -hmm. or they're not getting the targets that we think they should be getting. And like you're saying, you trusted the OC and you, the mm -hmm. vacated. The, yes, that's all in, it's wishful in thinking. theory. Exactly. Know, good. Exactly. But we haven't seen it. We haven't seen you it. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh, and you even mentioned the other person that you used to refer to as unicorn. Tight end. Chris, Chris Herndon. Yeah. Everybody used to talk about how talented he was. He but I never trusted that. I never right, trusted right. that. But, but, <laughs> but, we, but people were drafting him yeah. with the thought that yeah. he has this talent this yeah. ability he, his first year he yeah. actually did pretty well let's draft him because yeah. in theory he should be yeah. great and, fantasy -wise. and his his adp was much more palatable than a kyle pitts in the third round yes so, yeah. so let now, me let me leave you with this though with kyle pitts okay let me just interject real quick imagine falcons have no issues getting in the red zone mm -hmm. i think with you know when you have a competent quarterback in, in a in a in a in a good you know uh, elite wide receiver and I and I do think Calvin really is that I think getting up and down the field is not going to be an issue, mm -hmm. but when you get to the goal line, punching the you know getting you know scoring touchdowns as opposed to kicking field goals uh, becomes challenging, based on the play caller and based on the player personnel. Right. When I look at Kyle Pitts, to me he seems like the ultimate red zone weapon. I agree. Just think back to I what agree. think think about think back to what Arthur Smith did with Jonu Smith at the goal line, and all the creative ways that he utilized him. Think to the fact that there really is not a you know, there's not a, a goal line back per se on the Falcons currently. You know? I got you. I like Mike Davis, but he's not a true goal line back. So they're gonna have to get creative down there and. You just drafted this guy fourth overall. This is something that he excels at. Why so you're not would buying you? the Mike Davis picture that was released? Uh... The uh, thighs? <laughs> right, right. No, no, no. My question. No, nah, yeah. Picks, <laughs> I see picks like that and I just, uh, you know. So my question to you I is, <laughs> how would you feel if Kyle Pitts had the exact same season statistic-wise as Johnny last year? Would you feel like he's worth that third-round pick? Oh, absolutely not. But I don't think he's going to be Johnny. <laughs> Right, but what I'm saying is... Jonu could block, and Jonu was needed to block. Right, right, and but, Tennessee but Jonu, needed Jonu last year due to the offensive line issues to block. Right, but Jonu still had a good season receiving-wise for a tight end to some extent, successful-wise. I mean, yeah. he's still considered a good yeah, tight end. but he was not worth the third or fourth-round pick. Right, so if Pitts had that type of season, it was still football-wise, NFL-wise, to some extent, considered a good season. Yeah, yeah. But fantasy-wise, that's not really what... You yeah. would think we would be getting from our yeah. third round pick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, he's still young. He still yeah. has to grow. He still has yeah. to learn the offense. Yeah. And again, we I'm, only care about yeah. this year. And right? I'm playing devil, right. devil's advocate here because I right now I currently have zero shares. But again, I'm getting closer to the point where uh, if he's there in the fourth round, I, I will consider it. I guess I'll say it like this then. Um, with the more teams I draft, the more likely I would probably say, okay, yeah. let me go ahead. And yeah. Draft it's just so hard. I think we talk about this all the time, you know. There are certain players where, like, the hype train is just unreal, and it may be warranted because it's within that player's realm of possibilities. But at some point, like, I don't, at least my philosophy and the way that I draft, 
I'm okay not having those players on my team. Right. I don't have FOMO when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. Crypto, we both know I got some FOMO. FOMO. (laughs) That's a a whole other topic. (laughs) But when it comes to like these high players, I'm okay. I don't need to have like, you know, the number one overall score on my team because I've seen in the past and we go back historically and look at, you know, you know, whether it's a, you know, home league or, you know, these large field uh, tournaments, you don't need that number one overall player at their respective positions to win. You can win without that. So, those are to me those rounds are extremely important i want players with stable floors mm-hmm. and with upside i, I want don't even want to call them safe though i don't want to call my players at that point safe i want to call them where i'm extremely confident that they're going to produce absolutely i don't absolutely. want a, a floor i mm-hmm. want to i want to know i i have a good chance of yeah. being ceilings so i would you much know? rather have cd lamb alan robinson right even a robert woods all of those guys, I would much rather prefer over a Kyle Pitts. Yeah, and that's where they're going. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason. Like, yeah. if you take Pitts, you're not going to yeah. be able to take other players that I probably like yeah. as much, yeah. if not more, that I don't want to miss out on. You know, so. How early are you taking tight ends, though? I mean, you don't want to take a, a Kelsey in the first round because he's not making it back to you in the second round. Well, How early are you taking yeah. a tight end? If I'm, if I'm drafting – Back end of the first, and Kelsey falls to me. I'm taking Kelsey yeah. easily. And actually, this season thus far, I've seen Kelsey go even as high as the second, third overall pick. Yep. Now, I personally am probably not going to draft that early because I still kind of prefer my C Max, my Dalvin's, yeah. my Camaras. But I mean, just kind of depend. I mean, it's a fluid situation, yeah. honestly, with all these tight ends. Just yeah. kind of, I mean, I, I think he does it too. Kind of let the t- the the draft come to you. Yeah, you know, so you don't go in saying I want a tight end early. So first round, I'm getting my tight end. Whoever falls to me, that's what I'm yeah. gonna get. But if Kelsey was to fall to me, then hey, I got my tight end. Yeah. Now let's keep it moving to my other yeah. position. And there's so. some, I mean, there's some advantages. So we, you know, we'll go, we'll go into our tight end philosophy because I think it's one is very unique. Uh, I got to get Dayo credit, uh, all the credit in the world. I think the last three to four years, he's just absolutely crushed. You know, picking that tight end that's come out of nowhere, whether it's been Mark Andrews. Darren Waller last year, Logan Thomas, and that has like literally led to tremendous fantasy success, especially in these tight end premium formats. So, uh, but kind of getting back to like when we like to draft them, uh, yeah, it's tough to kind of pull that trigger in the first two rounds. But if I am and I have, uh, it's going to be Kelsier or Waller for me. I think we've kind of talked about Kittle being, you know, great player. And at the end of the year, you're going to look at his overall stats and see he got there, but it's very volatile. So he may put up a 40-pointer, and then he may have some kind of, you know, five to ten pointers uh, in a tight end premium format that, to me, is not the ideal for a player going in the first uh, round or or at the back end of the second round. Mm -hmm. Kelsey, though, He's just sort of kind of been that stable tight end one mm-hmm. year in and year out. Right. We may see some TD regression, but we know we're getting 300 plus fantasy points year in and year out. And and that just sort of kind of gives you a significant advantage over the field. What other people also don't talk about, especially in these sort of kind of large uh, bench or large roster leagues, is that getting a player like that early allows you to sort of kind of completely forget about tight ends, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm under the mindset that if Kelsey gets injured, I'll figure out a situation. I'll figure things out throughout the course of the season. But for the most part, he is locked in in my tight end uh, slot throughout the year. And then I'm not even addressing that position until very late in the draft where I'm taking a lot of just sort of kind of these, you know, sleep, you know, uh, deep sleeper type picks. So that to me is a huge advantage when it comes to drafting. Okay. Obviously, you have to kind of uh, pass on a high end running back, which is tough. But you get that advantage. I get to take Kelsey and I get to forget about it. And mm-hmm. Kelsey in the first is, to me, a much better value than a Kittle in the second, Waller in the back end of the first, definitely than a Kyle Pitts in the third, than a TJ Hawkinson in the fourth, and even better than the Goddards, uh, the Logan Thomases, and all those guys that go in the fifth and sixth round. I'd rather spend hmm. that Waller's first starting on to, Waller's starting to kind of get up there a little bit for me, man. He is. He's he's, he's there. He's there. But you still it. he's still not there yeah. with Kelsey. But he's he's pushing, the, di- you know? the difference is his quarterback. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that, that's the biggest difference. Like I love Waller as a talent, and and I have taken him. I think I have a couple teams with uh, Waller thus far. But uh, Kelsey to me is you know elite. So it's so hard because we were taking Keller 
Kelsey back. I mean, I know. Waller back yeah. in the day, like, but you gotta, well, like, <laughs> you gotta disregard. Like there, like, just say now first. This yeah, is, this is 2021. Everything else you just gotta completely disregard. Oh the man, previous ADPs because you hear it all the time. Oh, this player was a value back then. We were taking him then. Now he's rise. Well, now it may be warranted now. So. Probably the, you know, it's rare that I'm taking the tight end that early. Maybe if I said 5% of my team, 5, 10% of my teams, uh, usually I'm kind of, you know, trying to load up on running backs mm-hmm. that early or if we lock in on a raw receiver like we did Devontae Adams taking them that early. You know, someone truly elite. Man, we were locked in. We talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were locked in on Devontae oh, last no, year. Nobody else saw that. Yeah. Ooh, I, I think people know. saw, but I just don't know if people were wanting to take him seventh, sixth overall. Sure. So we kind of had a certain cutoff. And, I, and this year that I, I've kind of, you know, floated the idea around that. To me, I, I've kind of teared off my running backs, you know, where I'm at, you know, in no particular order, but looking at CMC, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, uh, but he may find his way out of that list. We'll see. Kamara and Saquon. I'm a believer in Saquon. I know people are kind of off I that bandwagon. And then Kelsey. And then after that, I think there's a drop off at running backs. And we can maybe throw Derrick Henry. Some days he's in there, some days he's out. But then after that. You, you've had, well, I'll let you say the name. Yeah. But after that, I'm looking at Tyreek Hill. Right. So you've had Tyreek Hill basically jump Zeke now. When leading up to this point, wow. we pretty much still had Zeke. I, I do like Zeke, but we're we, we going on a tangent. We're we going yeah. we to get to Zeke. I do well, like Zeke, yeah. but well, I, 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 I want to get to Zeke. But in terms of getting back to like the tight end, uh, so, yeah, I don't like drafting tight ends in those middle rounds. Those you know rounds three through six to me are so critical and so important. That is your starting roster. That is your, like – your stronghold that that's like that's your rock that's what you you're gonna you're ride or die throughout the season mm-hmm. i don't want to take uh a a random guess at a, a position that has a high rate of failure you know right. that's you know that's a tight end dead zone historically that area does not do very well when we try and determine who's gonna be the next darren waller or mark andrews right. we've done a very bad job at it doesn't mean that we can't you know, attempted, but we've done also a better job at finding guys a lot later Super on. Super late, so yeah. I'd rather, you know, get guys. I'm, I don't want to pass on an OBJ mm-hmm. in the sixth. I don't want to pass on a Tyler Lockett in the sixth to take a guess on whether or not Logan Thomas is going to repeat, whether or not Goddard's going to come through. I'd rather just, you know, uh, take my chances and draft those guys later after I've kind of filled up my roster and, and, and gotten some core guys like Robbie Anderson, guys that can really kind of, you know, I know will help me out throughout the season. Now let's start talking about teams and their philosophies, their systems, head coaching changes, office of coordinator changes. How does that factor into how you evaluate players at the beginning of the season? Um, it's significant, but it's just another piece of the puzzle for me. Uh, for me, honestly, I prioritize talent over everything. I'm one of those cream rides to the crop. Uh, rise to the top type people, uh, but what when when they do make changes, what that what I really look for is is this coach going to shift the philosophy of the team, making them more pass heavy or more run heavy? That's really kind of how I look at it mostly, because that then for me increases opportunities for certain players uh, compared to the was prior years. Right. So um, let's say for instance the Falcons we're talking about. And I know we've kind of alluded to Mike Davis a little bit, um, but I do feel like the Falcons are probably going to run a lot more this year than they did last year, you know, mm-hmm. just because the coach came from the Titans. Now, you all know Derrick Henry is a is a beast, so it might be one of those chicken and the egg things where they ran a lot because they had Henry. Um, but still, the Falcons in the past, for the past three, four years, they've pretty much been throwing all day long. I mean, mm-hmm. Matt Ryan, 40 pass attempts plus every game. Yeah. Um this year, I feel like they're not going to pass as much volume-wide. And so it kind of goes back when we were talking about pits is those vacated targets. Yes, there's going to be vacated targets, but is the pie going to be as big as it was before, mm-hmm. you know, when they were throwing a lot more? I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But but if you were to ask me if I was to say would the pie get, become bigger or smaller, I would probably lean smaller just because of the change in the yeah. coach. So, so that's kind of how I more look at it. Um I kind of also look at if they hire a coach that's that's kind of been bland or vanilla in the past. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. If they're bland and vanilla, I'm like, eh, just scratch them out. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you're not doing anything for the players. You're then leaning mm-hmm. on the players to make all the plays themselves. Like you were saying about the Chiefs, I want a coach 
or a coordinator that's going to scheme his players open, scheme his players into success, because mm-hmm. that makes it easier for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I kind of look at. But yeah. uh, but he's actually more so looks at coaches more yeah. than me. So yeah, you know, I I mean I think it's absolutely. I mean I think it's critical. I think it's extremely important. Uh, we talk about it all the time. I think you know when we see sort of kind of. And this kind of gets into sort of kind of another debate, you know, analytics versus just sort of kind of film watching. And I think there's room for both. I think you have to incorporate both. both. I don't even know why there's Yeah, but but one thing that I do sort of kind of fight back against is like pulling and drawing from old data from an old head coaching or old offensive coordinating regime. To me, it's almost irrelevant. So I think anytime there's a new head coach and OC coming in, it is absolutely important that you go back and look at their history. It is by no means the end all be all because we can be fooled. We can assume that a player coming from a certain type of system, especially if it's a newer uh, offensive coordinator, you know, someone who's, you know, maybe it's their first time, you know, in that in that particular uh, coordinating position. Uh, we can, you know, sometimes we kind of falsely assume that they're going to, you know, basically take from their the, the previous OC, you know, somebody who comes from the Shanahan system. Oh, for instance, you know, the New York Jets system. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, he's going to basically pull from the Shanahan system. And it's going to be exactly like that. Well, we really don't know. Mm-hmm. We can kind of make that assumption, but in that particular situation, I'm not going to go, you know, I'm not going to have this strong conviction that it's going to be exactly the same system. Right. But in someone like Arthur Smith, you know, same type of situation, but kind of well, a different situation, but I'm approaching it from a different angle and from a standpoint. I don't think that he's necessarily bringing over the same system, but I trust that offensive coordinator. You know, I feel like he's going to put his his players in positions to succeed. Do you know what he coached before he was the offensive coordinator? I need to look at it right now. Like, was he, he was a position coach on this. I want to say he was a tight end coach, but I'm, I'm not 100 sure percent sure. But I think, ahead. yeah, but I think each team, I think it's extremely important. Uh, not just you know new changes, but you know even existing changes to sort of kind of go back and look what they did. Uh, the Philadelphia situation, for instance. Tight end coach, yeah. Yeah. So understanding like that Philly has new head coach and new offensive coordinator sometimes just gets overlooked. Like we're aware of it, mm-hmm. but we haven't really processed mm-hmm. it. And so we're sort of kind of projecting a lot of these players to basically do the same things that they've done in the past. You know, the whole Miles Sanders debate, you know, you know, their head, the head coach, their OC both came from systems where they used, uh, you know, Coach. I don't want to say RB, I don't want to say running back by committee, but they used specialized backs. They mm-hmm. had a back that was sort of kind of first and second down, and they also had a pass catching back, and they would sort of kind of use them in various situations. So are they going to incorporate that? Well, that's the head coach and the OC. So I got to assume, based off of their history, based off of how they drafted, based off of sort of kind of the player personnel, that's, that, that's something that we got to consider. So when I look at Miles Sanders, I may, I'm going to be concerned personally that he may not catch as many passes as he did in the past, especially since he had an issue with uh, with the drop rates and and what he had last year. And that may have been a fluke. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he's a bad pass catcher, but I think it's something that you got to consider. I think it's you know it can kind of get you that uh, that leg up over the uh, field when it comes to drafting. The only re- as far as Miles Sanders, the only reason why I kind of like him this year, honestly, because of where he was going last year, he was going in the first. Yeah early second last year and this year you're able to get him in like the late third yeah so i feel like i feel like the situation has changed too too much yeah they, yeah. they changed their coach but he's still the lead back yeah um oh another thing i, I look at a lot and he knows this i look at contracts all day long <laughs> like contract yeah. and he's in a contract year so, yeah. so for me that tells me this is the year he's going to try to put his best effort forward because he's trying to secure that next yeah. contract and if you look at Pass backs at their contract year, you see they actually have pretty good seasons. Yeah. Um. So for me, Miles Sanders, I'm kind of looking at it as a discount at the moment. I'm not really in love with him as a player. I never have been, honestly. Yeah. Um. He's completely, he was completely off the miles. I, I hated him last right year. Yeah, I hated him last year. <laughs> he's he completely off the miles. Yeah. I didn't see it. Yeah. Um. But again, now he's just going so yeah. late, and he's still the lead back. And in fantasy football, lead backs are so valuable. Yeah. You know, I, I just feel like he's. Yeah, I mean, you'd be able to get him as your yeah. third running back in some cases. Yeah, yeah. and, that's, and, and that's the thing, you know, back. he's young and athletic. That O line's going to be a lot better. A lot better. You they know, were so injured last you got to assume you got to assume having a a QB who has uh, legs on him uh, will sort of kind of uh, keep defenses a little bit more Help honest. Out with the RPO, that usually helps out. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm not sure where I'm at in terms of trust level uh, on this uh, head coaching scheme, but I do like where they come from. Yeah. And I do like, you know, what I've seen from the places that they've been. 
in Indy. Uh, and uh, and um, I think, uh, you know, based on the track record, I think that they should be able to sort of kind of get him in positions uh, to succeed. And they also, you know, he does yeah. Not. And then like, you, you like to hear things like, okay, we want to incorporate the uh, screen game and things like that. And then again, even in a place like the Colts, like we even, we saw Jonathan Taylor still, you know, uh, catch plenty of passes. So it's not right. like he's going to be an absolute zero. So right. I think you're right. I think the late third is, is probably a value and something that we may want to uh, consider because it's only a matter of time before we hear a quote coming from the head coach that, Oh, we love Miles Sanders. We see him as a three down. Then back. what's gonna happen? AD Which absolutely means up. nothing. <laughs> 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 means absolutely we, we nothing. Whole, we have a whole episode. On, <laughs> yeah, it means absolutely on nothing. Talk and tweets that, shoot up. Yeah, man, we have a whole episode. It's on like that, DeAndre yeah. Swift right now. Like I've been, I, I feel like I've increased drafts to try and get as many like third round DeAndre Swift shares <laughs> as I can. Yeah. But uh, which has been tough, but. Uh, uh, yeah, th those things I think are. are I'll tell important. you the first preseason game with Miles Sanders bust out. And does like 60 yeah. yards, he's going to get in the second place. Well, it'd be interesting <laughs> to see what they do with preseason. That's all it I don't know if we see starters playing preseason anymore, but that's a, that's a different take. Well, let's talk about injuries because I think that's probably why we won't see a lot of starters playing in preseason. Let's talk about injuries. I've been hesitant to take a real look at Saquon if I get one of those first three picks. Am I being foolish about it? How do you guys address players who were injured the yeah. prior year? Because it seems like – you know, but you got Saquon yeah. coming off an injury. CMC is coming off an injury. Like, how do you guys address injuries so it has from to the be prior case season? By case. It has 100%. to be case by case. Hundred you know percent. Uh, of course, one of the biggest, the biggest things you're looking at is the timing of the injury. Yeah. Like, when did they actually get injured? Because you have to see if the, the time they got injured, and then you have to see has it been enough time for them to have really truly healed, or they may be trying to come back too early. Um, you know, and it's probably affect. And then the type of injury, of course, major major yeah. factors. What type of injury they had. And is that going to be something that's going to hinder them yeah. for a longer period of time? Uh, me personally, I feel like if a team has expressed confidence and you're not seeing things where it's like they're trying to take it slow or, you know, he's off on the side. If they're not saying stuff like that, if it's if it's been like everything back to normal from the team, mm -hmm. then I'm more confident in taking a guy where I feel like I can yeah. take it. And if you look at Barkley last year at this time, he was going number two overall. In some places, mm -hmm. in some cases, number one. So, again, the kind of same thing I'm saying with Miles Sanders. If last year he was going number one or number two, and this year he's going like four or five, I think I got him in six. My first yeah. draft this year, I got him in six. Like, overall six pick. I'm going to take him. Yeah. I'm going to take I mean, because, remember, in FFPC, this is a tournament where you're trying to become number one. Mm -hmm. Trying to be at the top. Like, this guy's been at the top twice. You can't, you can't approach this with this, you know, I got to be cautious. Mm -hmm. Because cautious isn't going to get you at the top. Clash is going to probably get you top 100, top 150, top 200. You're not trying to get there. You're trying to get the top. And to get the top, you have to have the best, maybe not the best players, but you have the most amount of fantasy points when everything's all said and yeah. done. So you're not trying to get somebody yeah. that can probably give you a ceiling of maybe 20 points. You're trying to get somebody that can get you 30, 40 points. And that's something yeah. Barkley can do. Yeah. So I'm not just going to let him ride yeah. just because I'm scared yeah. of he might get hurt. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I think for me, like, uh, so that question, I think, we got to answer in multiple ways. So I'm going to kind of step back. I think there are certain aspects of fantasy football that we have uh, quite a room to grow. Uh, and I think one of those is injury-related news because none of us are really experts when it comes to uh, these particular types of injuries. And I think we don't do a good enough job of sort of kind of really diving in to the type of injury we can say ACL, but ACL means a lot of different things. And this coming from a person who's had two different ACL repairs. Uh, that can mean a lot of different things in the timetable and the recovery and, you know, how that player may, uh, you know, sort of kind of recover in that, you know, that, that year uh, is going to be very different. If you had a simple ACL or it was just a clean ACL tear, nothing else, uh, then you're likely to recover without any issue. You know, seven months, you're probably good to go. If it was a little bit more complex, uh, depending on your body type, depending on, you know, athletic build, that can be a struggle. And then we may see some compensatory issues. We saw, we kind of saw that with Dalvin Cook. You know, he's had some prior leg issues in the past. I think he had two ACLs, if I wasn't correct. But when he had his, he uh, when he had his most recent ACL, we saw that he was having hamstring issues afterwards. And I think if you kind of followed some of the more, uh, you know, savvy injury-related fantasy Docs, uh, physical therapists, 
uh, or anyone really kind of in that field who's sort of kind of in the know, they'll tell you that though, there's a high risk of that. There's a high risk of having a hamstring or some type of compensatory injury. So I think us as a fantasy community, we got to be a little bit more uh, aggressive when it comes to some of this fanciness. So I think, and I think other thing is like strength of schedule, and we'll talk about that later. But I think I think there's certain parts of fantasy football that we just sort of kind of just like gloss over or just like take it kind of face value or really don't dive into. So when it comes to Saquon specifically, you know, based off of, you know, you know, the experts that I've sort of kind of have followed or talking to specifically in this field, I feel very comfortable giving the timing of, timing of the injury, giving the specific type of injury, the type of surgery he had. I think he, you know, he allowed some time for his MCL to recover and then he had an ACL. Uh, and just sort of kind of giving that he's an athletic freak I feel more than comfortable taking him early on. And there are very few players, in my personal opinion, that can be number one overall, excluding quarterbacks. It's CMC and it's Saquon Barkley, and wow. that's it. Wow. Dalvin Cook has seen, we've seen a lot of great seasons out of Dalvin Cook. Yeah. But if everybody stays healthy, he'll be top three, top four, top five, but will he be top one? I, you know, I don't, we haven't seen it. Right. But we've seen that 400-point-plus season from CMC. And Saquon has that because he's one of the few backs that's a workhorse back with not America much behind him. Potentially, but he's got to have some ridiculous games. Yeah. Having that five TD game, you know. And more volume. Yeah, yeah, and more volume, yeah. Barkley's one of the few players that you can get, like, you know, 280-plus carries, close to 300 carries, get 70 to 80 catches, and easily put up double-digit double digit touchdowns. So mm-hmm. – Getting him at like six, seven, Still. I mean, it is lock button. It is lock button. I, I'm trying to get as much Saquon he Barkley. Even, honestly, he shouldn't even be calling. Yeah, I don't even. I want to get as much Saquon Barkley. And the line has improved too. I mean, you know, they didn't do a lot, but I felt t- this is to me reminds me of the Rams situation last year. Last year when we were talking about the Rams, you know, I was I was I was big on Acres because of the player, but I was you know part of that you know kind of argument was that well i think you know the old line is going to have time to gel and even though they you know graded out poorly the year before i think the continuity uh and just the, you know that coach in itself i think they're going to figure it out and i felt like that running back fit that specific type of run scheme and that ended up kind of coming to fruition and so saquon's kind of a different type of back you know i don't think he you know i think he he definitely has some deficiencies in terms of you know sort of kind of vision and and, and maybe patience and, and things like that but that old line to me is something that is seeing continuity and maybe gelling. And then you add in the Galladay, you know, uh, another year in the offensive system. Hopefully Daniel Jones takes that next step. The defense to me is good enough. You Not know? only that, but. And actually above average. Look at his replacement, how well. Gallman actually did pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if Gallman can do that well. Because remember, they, they were as a new coach last year. So yep. mm-hmm. it's not like we were going to see the same type of system, say, called yeah. before. We were going to see a new system. And Garmin was actually producing, producing enough to where yeah. he got a contract from another team this year. So yeah. if Garmin can do that well, I think Saquon can, you know, dwarf that. Yeah. Now, now how much of your belief in these medical reports are from you guys <laughs> having, like, being doctors and being able now, to review medical I mean, look, I'm an medical. so I, I do the eyes. So when, yeah. whenever, honestly, any injury reports, I always kind of reach out to them, like, what do you think about this? You know what yeah. I'm saying? And then what I do, because I'm, you know, ENT and I do mostly, like, sinus and, you know, endoscopic, uh, I reach out to my ortho friends. Okay. <laughs> or, or literally my physical therapist friends, you know, shout out to Carlos Reyes, uh, <laughs> who may be working with the Cowboys fairly soon here. But, uh, I reach out to them because you, I think you want both, not just an orthopedic, but you also want a physical therapist because there's two aspects of this. And I only know this because I went through two ACLs myself. You know, the orthopedic is the one who sort of kind of diagnosed the injury and patched me up. The physical therapist is the one who sort of kind of got me to a point where I can get back to playing basketball again, rehabilitation. They sort of kind of walk you throughout the entire process. I maybe saw my ortho a handful of times afterwards, but really it was the physical therapist who was like, okay, you're at 85%, now let's work on this. Okay, uh, you seem to have, you know, good cutting, but we need to, you know, uh, focus a little bit more on your quad muscle or your quad tendon is looking a little bit weak. Let's focus on this therapy right here. So they have sort of kind of a very unique perspective on return to play that I think we have to uh, focus on. And there, I mean, there, you know, there's a couple on Twitter that I follow that I think are just absolutely uh, excellent. Want to shout them out? 
We will. We will. Okay. We, we're going to shut them out. I, we'll I, I, got, them so I don't have their handle in, in front you, of me specifically, uh, but uh, we will, I promise we'll, 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 we'll shout that we'll out. That yeah, just remind, DM me or, 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 or I'll shout them out on Twitter. Yeah, I think I have it. I think yeah, I have in the past. But some of them just do absolutely excellent work. And the, and the best thing that I love about it is that they, they come with, uh, they come with uh, analytics. They come with prior uh, clinical studies. Clinical data, and they and they'll and they're very upfront. They'll let you know that you know it's hard to extrapolate this, but given the data that we have, we can anticipate this. And so it's that next level, you know. Mm -hmm. Again, getting back to strength of schedule because I do want to have that debate. Uh, we can start it now. We, we can we can kind of say, oh, you know, historically it's been hard to sort of kind of assess, you know, uh, or just throw all ACLs into one bucket and say, you know, this is. But it's really not that simple. And so you can do that and kind of lose a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, or you can really dive in and get a good understanding because there are certain situations that I want to know about. Like uh, I reached out to uh, uh, Dr. Reyes uh, regarding uh, Ben Roethlisberger's shoulder, mm -hmm. or sorry, not shoulder, or his shoulder or elbow. His elbow. Oh, his yeah. elbow, his elbow. And the type of procedure that he had. Uh, you know, was it a Tommy John? Was it a Tommy John-like? And I mean, the detail and specifics that he went into in terms of just sort of kind of the actual injury and the repair and then sort of kind of what to anticipate, you know, uh, was, you know, second to none. And so that allows me to sort of kind of know that, okay, that injury is likely something that's not to linger. So either Roethlisberger has completely lost it, or maybe it was just his first year back and he was taking it kind of mm. easy. But that, to me, kind of opens up the idea, okay, maybe Roethlisberger has a little bit more in the tank. Maybe he can throw the ball deep. Because at, at times I saw him throw the ball deep. Right. But we also saw him not leave the pocket whatsoever and get right. the ball out very quickly. I think he just didn't want to get hit. So the way that I sort of kind of then apply that to fantasy is, okay, if they're able to extend the field, because they have a Claypool, they have a Deontay Johnson, even a Juju, and they're able to extend the field, what does that do? That opens up the offense. That takes this poorly graded O-line, and we had a huge discussion on the uh, Steelers, Steelers offensive, offensive line. line today. Which is trash, but go ahead. Uh, you know, again, one of those situations <laughs> where, you know, <laughs> you say they lost Pouncey, <laughs> uh, but Pouncey was a terrible run blocker last year. But but that takes one of those situations where now it takes pressure off of the uh, Steelers' O-line, mm -hmm. okay, because now we've extended the, the field. Defenses now have to be concerned about getting beat over the top. So guess Najee. what that does to a player like Najee Harris? Right. So you can take, you know, an injury to the quarterback, dive deep in, and now that increases the realm of possibilities of these other players. So now before when I was another mindset, okay, Ben's is toast, he's done. He There's no way he can, you know, throw the ball down the field. I'm not even touching Claypool. I don't want to take, touch Najee's because he's going to be see, seeing eight-plus guys in the box. Now my realm of possibility has been open, and, and I've been able to sort of kind of, uh, you know, look at all the, you know, potential – outcomes for Ben Roethlisberger in the Steelers offense. Okay, so you think that Pouncey leaving is a big deal? Yes. Well, yeah. I, I think well, because Pouncey, I I strongly feel, was the leader of that offensive line for, for several years, probably since he was a rookie. Mm -hmm. Pro Bowl player, uh, very respected not only on his team, but in the league. Him and his brother, uh, Marquise Pouncey. Uh, so I feel like him leaving is going to have a a what's the word where where they had this continuation of having the same people on the just same continuity team. continuity mm -hmm. yeah like they're gonna they're gonna lose continuity mm -hmm. this next season and and that's with the fact that last year they were a a bad offensive line yeah. so they're a bad offensive line and then they're losing who some would consider probably as their best offensive lineman um who was the one keep in mind the like center uh caused the checks at the line of scrimmage. The center stands there, looks at the defense, and basically tells the offensive line what they're going to do if they need to make any audibles or adjustments. Um, you're basically taking that player away that's been in that position for so many years and replacing him with, I don't even, honestly, I don't even know who they're replacing with, and I, I should probably look that up. Um, but it's not a, a known Third, name. fourth round. Yeah, it, I hope it's not that rookie because <laughs> they were really in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I know they drafted a, a center in the third round, but I'm, I'm hoping. That I mean, he was highly graded coming out. So yeah, but he, but if he's a, a rookie, he's still gonna have some growing pain. He's never seen NFL defenses yeah. like he's gonna see them. You know. Um. So I, I don't know what they're doing there. Um. And when you run the 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 most successful running teams are able to run straight up the middle, and you lose your center. You know what I'm saying? Again, I don't know who's replacing with already a bad offensive line. They lost a uh, Villanueva to the Ravens. I really don't even know who else they they lost. They probably have lost somebody else, or they probably replaced. They're getting ba they, get they, back Zach Banner. They've 
Okay, that'll help. I mean, but, I gotta look it up. So, but. so for me, number one, I think the overall the offense, the offensive scheme last year was just terrible. Whether it was Ben calling his own plays and sort of kind of taking control of the play calling, or whether it was Stickner, or whether it was the you know O line itself. They did a decent job at pass blocking. Actually, a, you know, a very good job at pass blocking. Part of that was because the ball got out quickly, but they did okay with that. But they were dead last in run blocking. Mm-hmm. And Marky and Pouncey was, he was one of the main reasons behind that. So to me, losing him is, you know, is just going to be a positive. Whoever you, I mean, ideally you're replacing him with someone who's better, but he was, he was, he graded out extremely poorly when it came to run blocking. Same thing with Villanueva. I think he was probably one of their better run blockers, but he was still very, very poor. So I think the turnover at the offensive line, you know, it's not ideal in any scenario. You definitely want your offensive line to gel, but I think, you know, sort of kind of bringing in new talent. But to me, it's really bringing in a new offensive coordinator, new coach for that offensive line. I think that that's going to be significant. So, With this in mind, who from the Steelers would be the front runner to make it? The answer is the rookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it can't get any worse. He literally graded out as one of the worst. Uh, well, I guess it can't be any worse, but. So I think, you know, I think when we get, you know, hopefully Matt Canada comes in and, and just listening to him talk, seeing what he sort of kind of put out in the media, it seems that they're coming with a very different uh, philosophy. Uh, and so I think this is a situation where coaching can make a significant improvement. I don't, we don't need them to be top five, top 10. You don't. Okay. There are plenty of running backs who run behind very bad old lines who succeed. Okay. I just need them to not be as poor as they did. I need to not watch a Steelers game and think, just don't run. There's just <laughs> no point. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was atrocious last year. So to me, some of that can be addressed with coaching. You can't be that bad. That, and again, we're going to get to it. Their strength of schedule. Mm-hmm. You can't. I, I just Unless don't think you, you go can. There. I just don't think you there. can ignore it. How do you address strength of schedule when you're drafting players when you're approaching the season? So I mean, I'll tell you mine. I, I, I'm in the minority by far, definitely compared to everybody I see online and on Twitter. Um, but I really totally disregard strength. Of schedule. I think you're in the majority. I think that's what everybody does. Really? I think <laughs> yes. most people look at strength. Of I think schedule. they. I think they put out strength of schedules, but I think everybody's take on it is like, oh, we can't. Oh, well, we can't. well, good. Then there's smart people out there. <laughs> but um, the way I see it, I think strength of schedule is all due to past or historical information that I think is irrelevant going forward. You okay. know what I'm saying? I feel like okay, and I, I mean I can get to certain examples, but I feel like you, you say okay. Um, uh, this team is about to play. Uh, I don't know. Let's say the let's say the Browns. Okay. So last year, right? Teams that were gonna they had the Browns on the schedule. When people saw their their strength of schedule, they probably saw the Browns as being trash. Like this is a bad team. Like when you play the Browns, you're gonna smash them because historically the Browns have been bad. But what did we see last year? The Browns were a good team, a very good team, a playoff uh, uh Super Bowl contending team. So all those statistics or all those people that were looking at the schedule prior and saying when they when we see the Browns, we're going to be able to beat them or they're a poor team, it was totally false information they used to come to that conclusion. And I feel like that's the problem that happens every single year. Uh, you'll see in a lot of cases teams that, that are high in the draft order as far as the NFL draft, like a couple years back, I think the 49ers drafted number two when they took Nick Bosa. Um, that they ended up going to the Super Bowl the next year, right? So they went from being a, a one of the, if not the second worst team in the NFL, to the next year being a team that goes to the Super Bowl. So how are you going to look at the information from that prior year and have that determine what's going to happen the upcoming year? I feel like that's the problem we deal with. So, so I completely agree with that take on straight the schedule. I think if that's what you're doing, if that is how you were sort of kind of addressing strength of schedule you're taking old data from 2020 and using that for 2021 and saying okay you rank 31st so you are the worst defense in the league i mean but how else do people determine so i think but i think that's i mean this is not the kind of come off condescending because i'm not saying that i'm perfect at doing this but i think it's lazy i think it's lazy to just not take into account like what one defense that i'm like very high on this year that was garbage last year. You like, uh, oh, I don't know. You like the Steelers. You like the Broncos. Broncos. Yeah. Okay. 
the Broncos were bad last year. I agree. And we take that from last year, but I don't do that. I look at, I look at, I look at, I look at, you know, who they the, added. Who they added. Yeah. I look at their current roster. Right. They are going to be a force. I totally on, agree. You know, as far as the pass defense, they are going to be very hard I to contend. I totally agree. They added they from added, Callahan to added, Simmons, uh, Kyle Fuller, yes, they added Patrick Certain in the draft. I, I totally Calhoun, agree. I but mean, so I think you have to approach that with each team and under, and try to figure out. So I would rather take the approach of let me try to figure out which of these defense and I and this is what I do with strength of schedule. I just look at the extremes. Everything in between does not matter. And then it de- it's dependent on the player in terms of whether or not it's going to move. It so, rarely ever moves someone like a full but, round or but, something. But I think the way, what you're saying now, the way you approach strength of schedule is different than the way everybody else has approached strength of schedule. And that's what I'm saying. That's everybody else takes strength of schedule like literally this team was ranked this way. So when you're calculating, because they literally have numbers yeah. this, the strength of schedule, yeah. you're, you're going to get the fifth easiest schedule next yeah. year. How do you know they're the fifth easiest schedule? Yeah. You're going from 2020 yeah. data? That, that's not... And there's Good. multiple aspects of this too, because total team defense is absolutely irrelevant. Like total team defenses mean nothing. You literally have to break it down into pass defense and rush defense. And then even in pass defense, you kind of have to understand, like if I'm drafting, you know, uh, 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 a slot wide receiver, uh, versus an X wide receiver, any given week, the opposing defense may have a very good outside slot. corner, yeah, outside corner versus yeah, corner. versus exactly. So those things are, are are important. That's kind of more in the play. So it, for me, it's less from a wide receiver standpoint. But this is where, to me, I think I utilize it. And granted, I know I understand that injuries happen and that you know trying to figure out what's going to happen in week. And 15, that's why I don't 16, like projections. But that's it's very tough. Episode. But when I see a team on the schedule that plays a Washington football team twice. I'm less redis- or I'm less likely to draft that running back compared to somebody I have in that same tier that may be playing Cincinnati and you know so, or someone else. So that to me is where it's relevant. So I like I'd like to I look at like I, at this point I pretty much know who's playing who. I know who has at least in my mind a perceived easier schedule. And again, I'm just looking at the extremes. Right, right, you right. Know? But but okay, you made a good point. Washington last year at this time. Nobody looked at the Redskins as being a great defense. I thought they were going to have a very good defense. I, mean, I thought you, that their D-line you was might very have, good. You might have. But yeah. nobody was saying, I mean, maybe I missed it, but I didn't hear anybody saying, oh, they're going to deal with the Redskins. Yeah. Uh-oh. Like, yeah. you got to watch the running back you're yeah. playing. Like, never, I never yeah. heard that. So, now, everybody's like, yeah. Redskins defense is, is top notch. But what's changed with the, uh, with the Redskins defenses? Since last year? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing, yeah. Experience. Shoot. Actually, they got, they got worse because they lost Ryan Kerrigan. Okay, they did lose. Karen. So they lost somebody. So, they did lose Karen. So, but, but, but what I'm saying is the narrative behind them is different yeah. now. Yeah, versus last year, but they were they were great last year. Yeah. So people were entering the season like not really caring about them. And I, and I think you can't do that. I think you have to go roster but, but by so, roster. So when I talk about that. strength of schedule, yeah. that's what I'm against. Yeah. Because I feel like people use that crutch and just say, "Hey, you're dealing with the easiest schedule this year because of again historical yeah. data," and they just say, "Yeah." And, and, and you made a you said the the. The, uh, the term that we use a lot, laziness. Yeah. People are so lazy with how they, they do their fantasy football studying. They'll look at that like, okay, this has the, the easiest schedule in the season. Okay, bam, yeah. move on to the next yeah. one. When instead they're not doing what you're saying you do, you actually yeah. dive into like, what makes this team good? Like, where did they improve at? Are they really better at this or are they actually worse? Yeah. When you change culture, you change philosophy. Yeah, a that's a big thing. A running team to that's a passing thing. team in one year. Yeah. But historically, you could say, like, Falcons, we could say for the last five years, they've yeah. been a passing team. This year they might decide, hey, Mike yeah. Davis, here, 30, yeah. 30 runs a game. The no, Eagles, the, the Eagles are like that too. They change defensive coordinators, and I have no idea how good their defense is going. Right, to be. So right. I can't look at that as a good or bad match. So, so, so really, that's why I've always been against yeah. strength of schedule. Yeah, you know, because I feel like it's information. And then another thing is, I feel like teams evolve throughout the season. A they team do. can be really mm-hmm. bad at one thing mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, they'll be great at it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, but. I mean, yeah, and it's know? and like I said, it's player dependent because obviously, you know, strength of schedule we're applying to drafting and ADP. So when I'm like looking at CMC, I could care less about the schedule, yeah. even if it's a bye week in the playoffs. Yeah, like things yeah. like that. Like I, but when it comes to certain players like Miles Sanders, I'm looking at Miles Sanders and Allen Robinson, and I'm like, uh, man, I already have two running backs. Uh, man, you know, do I really, you know, and I'm playing in a large field tournament. Do I do I really want to be up against Miles Sanders and 
all the question marks that he has going to, up against the Washington football team the last two weeks of the season, you know, based on the information that I have now, uh, right. probably not. But right. if I win zero RB and Miles Sanders is staring me there in the, you know, in the late third round and I need a running back, then I'm going to take him. So right. I think to me, I just think it's something that we can't just completely gloss over, or at least I prefer not to completely gloss over to pay some attention to. And the other thing, too, is I'll get to this is my like last point on straight the schedule when it kind of comes to overall schedule, because I think like you, you, have to, you have to be very specific when you talk about strength of schedules. But when it comes to overall schedules, sometimes it's at an advantage. I want my teams in competitive games or in shootouts. Right. We'll Which is why I like the Pittsburgh Steelers we'll this year. I made a point about that yesterday, right? Yeah. Somebody playing a number one team schedule because they're going to have to play yeah. better teams. Yeah. Better teams, but they're going to have to – who was I saying that about? I don't even remember. I think it was Steelers. Titans. Yeah, it was a tight. We talking about AJ yeah, Brown. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, they're gonna ha- they're gonna play against. That's great for AJ Brown. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna play against division winners from last year, so they're gonna play against teams that are most likely gonna score a lot more points, which means their offense is gonna have to score more points to stay with the other team. So it actually it actually ends up benefiting him because yeah. he's playing better teams. Yeah. So so yeah, I agree with that. But again, not a lot of people dig deep into the things yeah. like this. They yeah. just look at it as this is the number. Like Roto World, I'm not knocking no Roto a great website. Um, but I see them kind of their tweets, you know, is the list of the top 10 quarterbacks. And this is their ranking of their schedule for this year. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. With mm-hmm. no content. Yeah. You know, and people look at that and they take that as gospel. Yeah. But yeah. you can't do that, you know, yeah. so it makes you lazy. So that's kind of the problem I have. With yeah. It. I, I, how early are you guys taking defenses, though? I care about in, the, in the nuts drafts? and bolts things. Yes. Like in drafts, <laughs> how, how early are you taking defenses? buddy. When I started drafting, uh, man, I would like draft, I would take defenses early, like, 14th round, I think maybe as early as the 13th round. And sometimes I take multiple defenses. I will say that, like, I don't want to say say that that was the wrong technique. Probably it was too early. Uh, Maybe 15th round would be the earliest. First of all, let's, let's, I don't know if we've explained, there is 20 rounds in the mm -hmm, FFPC. So for context, go ahead though. But what I would say is that um, in the years prior, I felt that there were certain defenses that I think were, Head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, I felt, yeah. you know, the year two years ago, I felt like New England Patriots were an elite defense. So I had multiple defenses, uh, or multiple Patriot defenses. Last year was the Steelers, and it was yeah. And last year it was the Steelers, uh, and to some degree the 49ers. And we saw what happened with those injuries happened. Injuries, you know. Yeah. But before injuries, Steelers they were that defense. I was trying to get them everywhere. So right. it's one of the, it goes back to that you know sort of kind of I don't want to say lazy analysis, but it's a little bit lazy to say oh. Defenses and kickers don't matter. Just take them at the end. Maybe kickers don't matter, but defenses don't matter. Just take them at the end. I disagree. Like, if you feel like there's one defense head and shoulders above the rest, then go for that defense. This year, I personally don't feel that there's necessarily one, and I feel that there are a lot of sleeper defenses. And when I look at the schedules uh, and I take into account the defenses, I don't necessarily see a huge advantage in getting one over the other. Mm. So this year, I basically have been drafting – one defense and been drafting them very late in the yeah. 19th to 20th round. So, so the way, and I've kind of been observing the way he's been drafting. Like he says, he's kind of had this strong belief in a certain defense and he has taken them early. And when I say early, I, I think I've been seeing him drafting like around 15, maybe yeah. 16. Yeah. You know, he'll take it like he'll target, like I, I need to get this defense and then kind of be comfortable with it there. Me, I've kind of had the, the approach of, I want to get a late defense, you know, and, and, the reason being is I tend to stream my defenses very strongly. And if you don't know what streaming means, it basically is you pick up a defense for that week because you're looking at the matchup and you think they're going to do well against that matchup. Um, so you're utilizing them for that week or the week after, but then um, you don't hold on to them. You replace them with another defense. You feel like might have a good matchup later. Um, so I tend to stream a lot. Uh, but, but really my technique has been to stream early, then locate the, the great defense of that season because I feel like every season some kind of dark horse defense or mm-hmm. two kind of arises you know what I'm saying and they end up being a great defense throughout the season last year it was resting and, and probably another team I'm saying Redskins I'm sorry Washington football team mm-hmm. um, and maybe another defense I'm just kind of slipping my mind the year before that was the Steelers because the Steelers didn't start off great the Steelers started off kind of okay but then they added Minka Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. and it took them through the roof yeah. you know yeah. um so I, I kind of try to hurry up and search for that defense. Like real, I think last year was also the Rams. Yeah. Um, but I try to hurry up and find that defense and then hold on to them. Yeah. And that's my defense throughout the season. Um, but I've kind of been slightly taking his approach this year. 
Um, I guess I can just say the defenses. I, I do like the Broncos. I do like the Steelers again. Um, what's another team? I like the Redskins. I like hmm. those three teams defense-wise. So I'll probably take those those teams yeah. early defense-wise. But in reality, if I can, I would still want to wait because I still want to – because I feel like I, – I understand I'm not psychic or smart enough or wise enough to know mm-hmm. who the best defense is going to be this year. Mm-hmm. I understand, like, I, I have this blind spot in my ability to, to figure it out on the front end. So my goal is to just get a defense, hurry up and figure out who they are, and then grab them. You know, mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I want to do. 49ers are another team. I think they will have a big bounce back. I think Bosa's going to They might, because they're getting a lot of players yeah. back. Uh, but the other thing with defenses, too, especially, you know, in a 20 roster, uh, in 20 round draft, I think it's important to kind of understand that, like, a lot of those late round picks are just dart throws, okay? And so every draft is dependent. So if I'm looking at guys that I think, you know, are just like absolute steals, I'm passing on defense, you know? Mm-hmm. But if I feel like, okay, you know, diamond doesn't type. Yeah, diamond doesn't like, type players or players that like I'm high on, but I know the field is like not. They're even, not you know, even going to draft. They're not them even consider. They, you know, yeah. me drafting them makes me look like absolutely insane. Like you know, <laughs> you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, then like I'll just like wait. You know, I'll wait. Uh, or maybe I'll You'll draft. Get your I'll, yeah, I'll get my defense and then and just then draft those get, guys yeah, afterwards because exactly. uh, I know that they'll be there. I know the uh, the field is not yet caught up to them. Or my, they're eighty. That's the advantage of studying draft boards too. Yeah, like. Like, you can be high on a player. You can have this conviction, like, oh. this player is going to be great. The system is great. They're going to get the opportunity. But if you're looking at these draft boards and you're seeing other people aren't on the same vibe that you're on or the yeah. same wavelength, and you're seeing this guy is getting drafted super late or not yeah. drafted at all, you shouldn't get in there and say, well, I still believe this player is going to be yeah. great. Let me draft him early. No. Yeah. You understand the value of that player can be yeah. taken at a different time. You can give value somewhere else early and then come back and give value later, you know? I said, God, give me a warning. Please take me for the morning so I leave more disappointments than I ever will appointments. Give a fuck about your feelings. Rub it in. This your ointment can't depend on the oink. Find your pick in the blanket. Find a stick through your anus. Give a rip for your statement. This this shit in the pavement that is on. Word is born. I've been on like a track phone. I ain't going back home. Say what I do, trick. Yeah, I think I'm taxed on. Go where I live. Oh, you gon' need a chaperone.